guys, welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Ellie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. We were inspired to learn about the journeys of normal people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices, from physical to emotional to spiritual, to figure out what wellness means to them and what works for them. We aren't doctors or experts, just average ladies figuring out how to live our best lives while tackling topics all across the wellness spectrum. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them and sharing personal stories of real people, we aim to destigmatize the process. Join us as we in our community share our courageous wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Courageous Wellness. Today on the podcast, we have my very close friend of 17 years, Nora Resnick. Professionally, Nora is a storyteller and content producer with experience in narrative, documentary, and live branded content for clients including Jose Cuervo, Afropunk, Tiffany and & Company, and Boost Mobile. In addition, Nora has a deep commitment to social responsibility and has volunteered across the globe from Thailand to Ecuador and also worked as a development coordinator for the Haiti-based nonprofit organization We Advance, which was co-founded by actress Maria Bello. Today, she joins us to tell a very different type of story, one that is deeply personal. Nora shares the experience of losing both of her parents within a six-month period in June and December of 2018, respectively. On this episode, we have an in-depth discussion about her personal experience with grief and death. We do want to preface that although this episode is not graphic, it is very emotional, in case anyone listening might be sensitive to the material. Our desire is to explore this difficult topic with the hope that anyone listening can connect and learn from her experience. We are deeply grateful to Nora for coming on to share her story of courageous wellness. We also think this episode so beautifully bookends the episode released last week featuring Dr. Britta Bushnell, who discussed life transitions and mythology with a focus on the transition of childbirth. Also, please listen through the end. Our final wrap-up question prompted a beautiful discussion that ultimately concluded the episode. It was a privilege for us to have this conversation, and we dedicate this episode to Elaine and Richard. This episode is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals. If you have listened to our episode with founder Carly Stein, then you already know how powerful Beekeepers Naturals products are. Beekeepers Naturals is a wellness company specializing in innovative nutraceuticals made from healing hive compounds and plant-based ingredients. Their mission is to improve people's health naturally and save the bees. Allie and I are absolutely obsessed with these products and have been using them consistently since December when Carly was on the podcast. So Allie, what is your favorite Beekeepers Naturals product? I love the Propolis Throat Spray. Mm. I have used it consistently through the entire winter, and it's the first year of my life that I did not contract one head cold or sinus infection. Um, it's been my immune system's secret weapon, which makes sense since Propolis is basically the immune system of the beehive and has germ-fighting properties. What about you? I love the Propolis so much too, especially as somebody who always got strep throat and throat infections. It has it has actually changed my life yeah. completely. But with that said, my favorite product is the Bee Chill Hemp Honey. 
Bee Chill Hemp Honey delivers a powerful 28 milligrams of hemp oil per teaspoon so that you can find your bliss. Made with USA grown hemp, it is non-psychoactive and contains 0% THC. I sleep like a baby when I take it before bed and it seriously takes the edge off of my whole day. It also hits the spot when I'm craving something sweet after dinner, which is just an added bonus. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to try the Propolis or Bee Chill Hemp Honey or any of the other amazing products, you can receive 15% off your Beekeepers Naturals order by using the code Courageous Wellness, all one word, at checkout, or visit beekeepersnaturals.com slash Courageous Wellness, and you can also find the direct link in our show notes. Nora, welcome to Courageous Wellness. Thank you so for having me. I'm so glad you are joining us today. For anybody listening, Nora has been one of my best friends since we were 16 years old, which is... A long time ago. 17 <laughs> years. Holy shit. One of my longest relationships. Um, so welcome. Thank you. Can you start off a little bit by telling telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hi. Um, so my name is Nora. I live in New York City. I lived in Los Angeles for a number of years, but I'm back in New York now. Um, and I work in entertainment. I produce commercials and digital branded content and events and sort of a lot of different interesting things um, in that space. Uh, and as I said, I grew up in New York City. I've come from, there's a lot of siblings. I'm the youngest of four. Um, and I think part of why you asked me to be on the podcast is uh, last year I had a tough year of, um, my parents died almost to the day six months apart, th three days shy of six months apart. So um uh, so thank you for having me here to talk thank about you, that. Thank you for being here and, to talk about that. Yeah, and, it's, and I think it's an interesting thing because part of my job, I tell stories, mm -hmm. and I think my story very suddenly shifted and changed yeah. and changed how I view the world and how I approach storytelling yeah. and um, approach life in general. Yeah, well, thank you because this is not – we're going to like dive into some stuff that is not the easiest topic for anybody. Mm -hmm. I think and especially because it's – I sort of admire that you're able to like – and not able to, willing to talk about it. So um, it's like still so recently. So we're going to talk about death and we're going to talk about grief today and all and the things that come along with that. Yep. So um, anyway, to start off, so you – as you mentioned, lost both of your parents within a six-month time frame. Um, but the experiences with their, their passings were quite different. So would you mind just sort of touching on, on that and, and like sort of the chronology of, of both of their passings, but then um, just like the differences in that experience, in those experiences? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll, I, it, the full story is a little bit can get a little long and complicated, yeah. so I'll try to give you the the sort of bullet condensed, points and yeah. condensed version. Um, my my mom had been sick on and off for a lot of my life, um, and she at one point was on uh, a, the list for a liver transplant. At one point, we were talking about um, doing you can. Uh, you can donate a living liver. So we were talking about a family member maybe doing that. And then they came out with a new medication. And very suddenly she went from being on a transplant list. There's 
one point where she actually had gone to the hospital because she thought she was going to get a liver that wow. ended up not being viable. They uh, came out with a new medication. She got on it and was cured. Yeah. Some years ago. That was like that medical... I mean, that medical, um, like, miracle drug. It was it was yeah. a miracle drug, yeah. And so she, she was pronounced cured maybe um, four years ago, maybe, mm-hmm. something like that. And... Um, so that, that, that's sort of the background of my mom's medical history. The background of my dad's medical history is, um, first of all, he was a much older parent. My dad was in his 50s when I was born. So he was already older. And he also um, suffered from, he had Parkinson's disease and a whole slew of complications on top of the Parkinson's from uh, spinal stenosis and then some nerve damage from a granuloma. And it can get very medical. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was much more ailing and ill and older. Um, and so with that said, my everybody sort of, we all went through life with the understanding that my dad would die before my mom. Yeah. Uh, my, my parents thought that. My dad thought that. Um, and last June... Uh, <laughs> It's okay. I didn't. I didn't actually think I'd cry this early. Oh, I was like, the tears are gonna come. <laughs> it's like gonna be a. It's gonna be a episode. Okay. You should start with a trigger warning, possibly. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, last June, uh, I was at work and uh, we got a call that something was wrong. And I, the first thing I said, somebody said something's wrong with mom. And I was like, no, you mean dad. Mm -hmm. Um, Which was sort of a repeating theme when we started notifying people. People were like, oh my God, I'm so sorry your father passed. And we had to be like, no, "No, my mom passed. It was very sudden. Um, And so she sort of, it went from, like I woke up and I walked to work and I think I was even... Uh, you know, I woke up and went to work and uh, got a very sudden call and all of a sudden my world flipped upside down Uh, and I immediately, I work in Brooklyn, I immediately hopped in a car and took the longest 45 minute car ride of my life to the Mm -hmm. Upper West Side Um, and everything sort of shifted in a second um, with her death. Uh, and there's some very, you know, I had some very surreal and Mm -hmm. odd experiences when somebody dies suddenly cops have to come. So like I walked in and there were cops in my parents' house and they have to make sure there's, you know, foul play. And so it was, it was a very, um, we were all sort of walking through a mist. Yeah. Um, and there's just intense shock that everybody goes totally. Yeah. Um, and one of the big complications, as I said, my dad was ailing and sick, so, kind of immediately my siblings and I with also dealing with our shock and our grief were oh my god what what happens with dad right because he um at that point he sort of could walk with a wheelchair but was or sorry sort of could walk with a walker Mm -hmm. uh but was really shaky um and some days he would be up and alert and some days would be tough and there was a lot of uh he, he had some uh, help during the days, um, and it was, uh, that was sort of the number one priority of figuring out what we do with dad. Can he stay in the house that he has lived in for 45 years? Can he, does he have to go to a nursing home? What happens? And so I, 
um, not immediate. Well, I, I mean, I ended up making the decision to move from Brooklyn back into my childhood home to become my dad's primary caretaker. Mm. Um, so I was his, which was a, which was a really tough and complicated decision, Mm -hmm. um, that, it's sort of when my mom died, I basically didn't leave that house at all for the first two weeks, like not even to go to the store because there was just so much to do. And I also knew how to take care of my dad. Uh, so you moved in and started taking care of him. Yeah, I moved in and I, I became my dad's primary caretaker. Um, and it was it was it was a tough decision and it didn't it sort of happened naturally. And then yeah. at some point I, I made the official decision It sort of for a while I was living out of a suitcase. And then yeah. eventually I got a subletter for my Brooklyn apartment and fully moved in um, and yeah, became his primary caretaker. Um, I think it's a really good moment to just say that I was acting as as his primary caretaker, but was extremely fortunate Mm. to have a network of people helping me. I have a lot of siblings who offered a lot of support. um, And my dad had also 24 hour professional care, Mm. um, which he had, he he had had some professional care during the days before uh, three, three incredible caretakers who Mm -hmm. are, truly angels on earth yeah. who helped take care of him um during the days that I feel fortunate to to know them as people and to have them in my life and then he also had overnight caretakers who sort of that that he didn't have overnight caretakers when my mom was alive but it was something we had to add on um so I'm really lucky that I a lot of people are not in a position to have as much help as I had yeah Oh, what a transition and while you're grieving and as well. I was going to say that, that you had to sort of, not had to, but chose to jump in in this position to essentially and knowingly, like this is what's so interesting is that like you had to deal with the shock of the trauma of losing your mom so suddenly and unexpectedly, but then also on top of that making the choice to then go be a part of the end of your father's life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Knowingly be it like, and be in on the day to day, which I just find to be so like courageous, you know, this is courageous smallness and, um, and, and no, knowingly after dealing with the trauma and like being in the trauma of the loss with your mom, choosing to then also put yourself in the, the reality of dealing with the day-to-day with your father. Yeah, it was a really tough thing. I, I think I'd, I had a lot of conversations with you and with other friends of mine at the time. I was re- really aware that I was not able to fully process my mom's death because yeah. there was such an immediate need of my attention. Um, it was sort of like, uh, in some ways, like having a small child. I don't want to infantilize my father. He was right. in his late 80s, but there was there was a, an attention that needed to be paid to him. And I wasn't fully able to process my mom's grief while I was also taking care of my dad. Um, There was a lot of just like my dad's care is priority because his well-being is priority and my grief will be processed at some point. Um, But right now I need to make sure he's not screaming in pain or falling down or a whole host of other things that I had to deal with taking care of him. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So having gone through this experience this past year, what would you say, like, for anyone who maybe has just suffered a loss or 
maybe is anticipating suffering a loss. Like those are the sort of the two, the juxtaposition of your two experiences, right? Like the, the severity of suffering, the loss of your mom so unexpectedly, but then also like some people are, you know, dealing with loved ones in hospice or whatever it may be. What would you say like in the beginning stages of that? I know I'm sure it's like challenging to look back, but how did you, was it the activity that you needed to be present for your dad day to day that got you sort of moving forward? Like what was, what are some little steps that you had to take or do you remember to sort of live through that shock in early stages of grief? That's an interesting question. I don't have any other perspective on losing a parent for the first time than, than the perspective of losing my mom very suddenly and having my father to take care of. Um, so I, I think, I think having my dad to take care of was helpful because there was just something going on that was more important Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, not forever more important. I am a big believer in self care. I've become a much bigger believer Mm -hmm. in self care, which sort of can be like a trendy word and it can get really eye rolly to say, but I've become through this process, a much bigger believer in self-care. I, yeah. I I wake up earlier than I ever used to to have slow mornings, to have time to write in the mornings because that helps me process. I try to be very strict about when I go to bed because I need my sleep because I know what happens um, mm-hmm. to my brain if I don't do that. And that's something that I learned not in my previous 32 years before my mom died, but I learned through this process when it sort of was, I was taken to the brink with right. emotion and physical exhaustion and all of it. Um, which all is to say, it's really, for me, it's really different processing the, the two deaths. Yeah. They were, they were extremely different to process. Um, my mom died in June and my dad died, uh, Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were, they were both different to process. And when my dad died, I also was able to sort of yeah. start, completing the process of grieving my mom and not to say it's not complete. No, No, I'm sure it's going to be a lifelong process. Well, and and six months is not a lot of time. So it's almost like you had to double, like you were double grieving six months in because yeah, six months is nothing. Yeah. It's not a long time. Um, and I think you're right that you're never, I, from, from talking to people who have lost Mm -hmm. a parent, uh, particularly on the younger side, um, It's, it, you're never necessarily done. It's so interesting that you talk about self-care coming out of it. Like that's sort of a, I mean, we talk about that a lot on this podcast and yeah, I'm sure some ways I rolly ways, but no, but like truly it's sort of at the core of any, um, being able to like show up in our lives. It's like at the core of like, if we don't learn how to do that, it's not an easy thing, It's but it can translate into all different areas, like whether it be a career or whether it be our family or whether it be, you know, so many things. It's like, if you don't, like you spend so much time taking care of your dad, like in a very, like, very overt way. You mm-hmm. are a caretaker for someone who is going through things. But it's like, if you didn't, if you weren't able to figure out how to fill yourself up, what, what would you have had to have given him? Do you know what I mean? Like when you're like running on empty and I'm not saying there weren't days where you probably did run on empty, but at a certain point it's like we can only do so much if we're not like, if we don't have some sort of practice to 
like you said, even journal in the morning or something for yourself. Yeah. I think I have actually a little bit of a different perspective because I think I I was running on empty. My, from the day my mom died, I did not get a good night's sleep until the day my dad died. Um, I remember you actually saying that to me. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I, there was, I, I didn't sleep through the night for those six months. I, every sound I heard, I'd be up and making sure my dad was okay, even though he had a nighttime caregiver. Mm -hmm. I was also very busy with work at one of the biggest projects of my life was sort of Mm -hmm. coinciding. And I chose to do that. I I almost stepped away from work um, to just focus on taking care of my dad. But there was a project I felt professionally excited about. Um, And the night my dad died, which was very hard and very sad, um, I went to go sleep at my sister's house uh, so we could sort of be together and so I wouldn't be alone in uh, my parents' house. And it was the first night that I woke up the next day. Like, even though it was, I was sad and I woke up the next day very sad, I went to bed watching videos of my dad and I because I, um, uh, I made a point over the six months to take a lot of videos of Mm -hmm. our conversations because we'd have very, uh, deep and intellectual conversations, um. But I slept because yeah. there's there's nothing that I had to be immediately worried about. Everything yeah. was okay, and yeah. it, the self care. Well, I guess it's it's a little twofold. So I think the self care more kicked in after that. Uh-huh. I was I was sort of doing what I could to scrape by with self care, mm-hmm. um, and and just just do the bare minimum so I could be present for my dad yeah. and yeah. try yeah. to like do yeah. my job um the flip the other thing with that though is I'm a big believer in therapy mm-hmm. um same we talk a lot about that yeah same 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 and I had been in therapy different times in my life um mm-hmm. I feel incredibly fortunate to and if you believe in like the universe I think the universe was taking care of me a little bit ahead of time uh both with my moving back to new york which was sort of Mm -hmm. an unplanned move back to new york and had i not done that i wouldn't have gotten two years of seeing my mom almost every week before she died um but also i started therapy about a year before my mom died and so i had the foundation of somebody who knew me and so she she knew with going through the grief and and caretaking because there's also a a loss of like care in addition to grieving my dad there's also a caretaker role role that kind of gets grieved yeah um but she could tell what was sort of Nora behavior and what was grief behavior and what's something that I'm working on in my life in general regardless of the state of my parents right um well-being uh and that was huge because like yeah I'm somebody uh, who, I like instant gratification. I work in production. Production's full of instant gratification where you're, you're, you think of something and you make it and you're on a big set and there's 60 person crews and then you finish it and then you see that thing and it's all very instant. I'm not somebody who loves to plan ahead very far in my life. I'm, I, I don't, previously hadn't done well with sitting in discomfort. It was like, I want this, I'm going to do this. I don't want this, I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in a selfish way, although sometimes, probably. Um, and I had a therapist who 
has been able to help me and she's amazing shout out to Sarah if you're listening uh help me sit in really uncomfortable positions and and kind of the answer with grief is there's no way around it. Yeah. And and she said to me, it was because, as I said, my work was really busy. It was the biggest job of my life um, in the fall. So, like, yeah. right in the middle of taking care of my dad. And after that ended, shortly after that project ended, my dad got really, like, took a turn. He, yeah. he was already really sick, but it started to become clear that it was much closer to the end. And my therapist said to me, she was like, you, you're going to feel the emotions, whether you want to feel the emotions mm-hmm. or not. And you were able to put it on hold a little bit and pour yourself into work. Some people pour themselves into alcohol or drugs or Relationship. relationships. Right. At that moment, I had worked to be like, every, you know, it was taking yeah. everything out of me that my dad wasn't taking out of me. And she's like, and that was okay because you needed that a little bit to get through that period of time. Right. But now, now it's time for the emotions and like now it's time to feel the feelings and it's going to be uncomfortable. And one of the biggest things that I've learned and am learning is the bad feelings pass. Yeah. Yeah. The emotions pass. It it comes in waves. Grief is also not just sadness. Grief is having good memories and laughter. I mean, the day my mom died, my siblings and I were in hysterics about some things because there's, there's funny stuff. Funny fucking stuff. Can I curse? Yes. There's fucking funny stuff and memories and like, oh my God, mom was so nutty. Like we just found, she had like 10 Best Buy gift cards. My mom like didn't know how to use a computer. (laughs) Why did she have 10 Best Buy gift cards? That's insane. Yeah. Um, But it also shows like, and maybe this is just like my personal connection to you guys too, but like going back, you know, and being there around the time of your mom's memorial and um you know there's so much logistical stuff that goes along with dealing with death like you guys should do an entire episode on the business of death i mean that's yeah preach because i've i've seen it recently with my grandpa's passing and my mom and her her siblings and it's like but i think i first got a reality into into like just like viewing what that is like um when I was visiting you guys, there was just so much work that goes along with dealing with somebody's passing. And, but along with that, you get to like take this time to really like observe who this like, now I'm getting emotional, like who this person was in the world. And like, your mom was so funny and so fun. And like, it felt nice to like have everybody around being like oh well Elaine blah 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 or in a way it like allowed time to like laugh at things that were funny about her or that she would really enjoy or like you know just like quirky things that you don't like I don't like think about all my friends who are living who are like yeah like we go through our life on the daily and be like sometimes I may be like Erica would really like this but like taking the time to like have like have a moment about that like appreciate you know we don't always do that because we're moving so quickly through the world but like taking that time for a person it's like in a way it makes me think we should do that more for each other absolutely you know yeah I think it can I think death um because it height you know it, it heightens that height sort of like if you 
buy a new blue Toyota, all of a sudden you start seeing the blue Toyota everywhere that you never saw before. You're so aware of it all of a sudden. You're so aware of it all of a sudden. Yeah, and you know, I, I recently saw that even with my own family, like my grandfather's passing was similar to that of your dad's, which was Parkinson's long term. I saw, and I actually want to get into this because I have a question for you about his, the experience you had, like truly being there, knowing it's the end of someone's life because that's, that's such an interesting process to yeah. go through. you want to talk about it? I do. Um, but just like the bonding of other people that can come together because of a passing too. Absolutely. And I think, I think death, death is a really complicated thing and mm-hmm. I don't think you're able to predict how you're going to react to the death of somebody that you feel very close to. Yeah. I had, you know, my dad was really sick for a number of years and my siblings had a similar experience of we all sort of for years had been writing eulogies in our head for our father. Yeah. Because we knew his death was... was, imminent. Yeah. I mean, it sort of was imminent for 10 years, which is funny. Um, We all, we all said it separately, like, oh, I've been writing dad's eulogy for 10 years. And I think, you know, at one point I remember thinking to myself when my dad was, when both my parents were still alive, my dad's, when my dad dies, I'm going to pick up and I'm going to go on a really long trip. Like I'm going to go because uh-huh. I really love to travel and I'm going to go away for a few months. That is not at all what my first instinct was when my dad died. I actually, I ended up taking a little bit of a trip about a month after he died just for a week. Yeah. But my first instinct was I really want to be here. I want to yeah. be home. I want to be in his home. I want to be with my siblings. I'm very fortunate. I think death can sometimes pull people apart yeah, because yeah. everybody's going through really heavy emotions right. and everybody's not equipped to go through yeah. those emotions. And deal with them differently too. And, and everybody deals with them differently. I'm incredibly fortunate and my mom would have been very proud yeah. that immediately, like to the minute that we all first got to the house when my mom died, we clicked into each other. We made space for each other. There was a discussion of whether or not we do an autopsy. Uh-huh. Um, the The city wasn't going to do an autopsy because she had had this history of an illness. So it was, yeah, they only do it if there's suspicion, but there wasn't suspicion. And I felt like I wanted to do an autopsy. I was like, I'm not clear. I thought mom was cured. Right. What happened? And uh, one of my brothers felt like, he really didn't want to read an autopsy report that wasn't of interest to him. And we, the, the four of us, the four siblings, sat at a table and had a really open and honest discussion where we made space for each other mm-hmm. and, yeah. like, heard each other out. I don't think everybody has that. Yeah. Um, and, and we sort of, yeah, we just made space for each other's points of view. That's so beautiful. Yeah. It's it's incredibly lucky. Yeah, um, it is true because you do hear of a lot of like families fighting and feuding because it's, you know, and like there's always like I'm sure people have their deep deep down reasons, but it's you know it's grief that gets in the way. It's their pain. Yeah. It's it's wanting to hold on to well, something. Anger like is a stage of grief, right? Yeah. Right. So you can blame other people, right? It's yeah, been, and it's not to say my siblings and I weren't always getting along we've had moments of tension or more disagreements I think largely in testament to my mom we at the end of the day love each other and our 
relationship is more important than whatever bullshit we're arguing about or feeling differently about. I I wonder too, you know, through your grief process, is there anything that you learned about yourself that surprised you as well or that you've let go? Like something, you know, a close friend who lost a parent shared um, that through the process they became more forgiving and able to let Mm. things go. Mm. Do you, have you noticed anything like that through, I mean, it's so new for you still? Yeah, that's interesting. I, and I'd be interested to see like what my answer is maybe a year from now because it is still relatively new. Well, you can come back and do an episode then. Yeah. (laughs) I think, I think in some ways, I I don't know that I would have picked that word, but I think in some ways I've been, become more forgiving. I've become easier Mm. as a person. I've just become easier because, um, because my mom was. She was, yeah. my mom was a really easygoing person. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's somewhat like in honor of her, I think I care less about the bullshit that doesn't yeah. matter because I had some stuff that really mattered, like yeah. knock me down. Um, yeah. It, well, it's interesting. It's like perspective maybe, you know, I don't know if like not perspective necessarily in the way that you see the world, but just like what's important. Yeah. You know? But it is, it's, I mean, I, I haven't lost a parent, but it's something that everybody, everybody has to experience loss and grief, right? Yeah. But yeah, I can't even imagine, like you said, like the joy and the memory and then the sadness and the anger. Was there something you kept coming back to the most? Was there like one particular phase of grief that stuck with you? Um, I'm forgetting right now what the, the, all the phases the stages, of, the stages yeah. of grief are, um, even though my, my parents actually did a lot of work with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who helped uh, develop the <laughs> idea of stages of grief, so wow, that's incredible. sorry, mom and dad, that that's I'm not really remembering them. brand of them. <laughs> it's very on brand of them. Um, I mean, I, I think the thing that I f- kept coming back to, this is not a stage of grief, yeah. And I, I talked about it in my eulogy for my mom is gratitude. Yeah. That's the thing that and it shocked me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt immediately, despite the really tough circumstances, um grateful. I felt grateful yeah. for my siblings. I felt grateful for my dad's mm-hmm. caretakers. I felt grateful for my community of friends. I felt grateful for the privilege I have in this world. I felt grateful for human connection. Like I was overflowing with gratitude yeah like just like it's incredible yeah yeah and that's not a stage of grief but that was definitely something you noticed mm-hmm. maybe wow. a result of that I mean that's really amazing because it's something really positive that has come out of you know maybe yeah. a very challenging experience um so I would like to get into talking to you about you know especially in this sort of back-to-back um experience you've had with your parents you know the way we approach death you're talking about your own discomfort in the grief process but I think culturally and we talked a little bit about this before we got into the episode but like people don't always know how to handle death whether whether they're going through it themselves with loved ones or whether it's their loved ones going through it and because you know I think culturally we've been taught to detach a lot even the process of um of 
dying. Now, this is not, everybody's experience is not this, but like people go to the hospital. Like often it's removed from the home. Um, and then the, the process of like what you do with a person's body once they've died. And then the, you know, going like, and then even like the mortuary or the funeral home, if you take that route, um, and like, there's so many different traditions in our culture with that, but there, many of them remove it from like the family or remove it from the individuals that are actually experiencing that. Yeah. So like, this is like a twofold question, but how would, when we can start with this, I was going to say, how would you, if someone is unsure, if they're dealing with someone who's gone through it recently in their life and they feel uncomfortable, how would you say the best way to approach someone who's just dealt with loss? Yeah, like, what did you need from your friends at that point? You know, mm-hmm. like, what was something you needed? Because I also have heard, you know, the fu- the death happens, everybody is there. The funeral happens, and then everybody's everybody gone. Everybody goes away. Right? So what did you need from your friends and the people in your life in those early days of grief? Yeah, that's a good question. And I want to give an obvious caveat of this is my experience. Yeah. And- Everybody has their own. I know somebody who lost a parent um, in high school who uh, didn't want anybody saying anything to her. Mm-hmm. She didn't want anybody to acknowledge it um, who, who wasn't in her sort of inner circle. Mm-hmm. That was not my experience. Um, it, in fact, like I wanted everybody to acknowledge <laughs> I, I remember being on the subway once and I was like, how do these people not A, know who my mom was mm-hmm. and B, like know that she died Like, that was crazy to me that there could be people in the world that didn't feel that loss. Um, I think immediately what I needed in the, like, immediate, immediate was food. Mm -hmm. Basic basic self-care. I food and it's how and I think like I grew up Jewish. It's a big (laughs) Jewish tradition to like send food. There's a reason and I needed healthy food. A lot of people sent like pastries and stuff. We we like, needed we sent bagels. <laughs> no, bagels counted real food. Yeah, Al- Allie and some of our um, close friends sent bagels. I had another friend who sent like Italian an Italian dinner spread. Oh, that's nice. We just needed food because yeah, we yeah. couldn't think about. I had a friend who because like, I had just gone from work to the house. I had yeah. a good friend who like brought me clothes and a toothbrush. Yeah. So that was in the very immediate. And that was in a crisis situation where we right. weren't expecting somebody to die. So that's also was part yes, of it. With my yes. dad, we didn't get sent a lot of food, and it was and that was okay because I could I could go to the grocery store. I, I was functioning. I wasn't trying to figure out a million things. Um, for me, I just check ins, just check ins. Um, I think it can be really uncomfortable and I understand I've, I've been on both sides and I understand why it feels uncomfortable. You don't mm-hmm. know how much space someone wants or not like if they don't want yeah. space at all. The blessing of the world we live in today, which of technology is you can send somebody a text message and they can choose to respond to it or yeah. not. And I got sent many text messages that I didn't respond to. Mm. And I sort of, I very quickly clicked into that it was okay to set my own boundaries and I didn't have to follow typical rules of politeness. No. Like I, right. I very quickly felt comfortable with like, I will text back who I want to yeah. when I want to, but having people send those messages 
really meant the world to me. I had some people that I didn't know very well send me some really thoughtful messages. And that was really meaningful. And I had some people in my life that I felt very close to that Mm. didn't know what to do. And I I don't, I don't blame them because I understand, but they, they sort of didn't really reach out or reached out in a very, um, it was like I wasn't as close to them as I felt. And I, I was, honestly, I just felt like I don't have time to deal with like, you're making our relationship all of a sudden complex because I have more complexities in my life. Like, so like, there's just not time for that. Yeah. Um, not in a angry way, but in a just logistical way. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, that's, I'm a big talker with my friends and my friends and I, even not in crisis situations tend to talk a lot. So I, having that be an option, um, was important and yeah. I didn't always take that option. Sometimes I didn't want to talk or sometimes I really wanted to talk about like the bullshit going on in their life. I know that was something that like for some of my friends are like, I don't want to talk to you about my yeah. stressful work situation or like the person I'm dating because it seems so trivial. And I was like, no, please. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember that was like a hard thing to gauge as a friend is like, I don't like you got bigger fish to fry right now, but it's like the self editing we do. I think not even consciously sometimes, like where you think you're being sensitive. We're like, oh, maybe you just wanted to hear about like the tr- what would seem trivial. Totally. And look, the fact is there's no right answer. And in, yeah. in one moment, I wanted to hear about somebody's like dumb first date they went on. And in the next moment, I might be like, how could you possibly be talking to me about yeah. your dumb date? Yeah. My mom died and my dad's dying. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way to like... Yeah, I think there's no right answer. And I think all you can do and all we can do as adults in this world is communicate and not expect people to um, read our minds. Yeah, Yeah. and so maybe that is like the best thing to do is just to be there, right? Like just to to be and and to to be sensitive. Yeah, if like... I think being comfortable with your friend who might be having mood swings and one day being like, tell me about your date. And the next day being like, don't ever tell me about your date again. And knowing like that both of those things are fine. And not and being like, they get time to be, they get a, they get time to be however they want to be, I think is probably an important thing for friends to do. Um, For, you know, and I wanted to ask you this because I was curious about it. You know, I knew you when you lived in Los Angeles, but I hadn't seen you until Friday since you moved to New York. Three years. years. Yeah, I can't believe it's been that long. With social media, it never feels that way. Um, But, you know, we went to dinner with another girlfriend, and I didn't know if I should bring it up. Obviously, I knew we were recording this podcast in a week, so I knew we would talk about it. So, But otherwise, like, in that situation what would have been for you the right thing to do, you know? Because on my end, I was like, maybe she just wants to eat dinner <laughs> and catch up, you know? Yeah. So I didn't mention it. And again, I knew I would see you today. So it's with that caveat of I knew we would get to talk. But what is the right thing to do for you in that situation? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Yeah. Um, and I think like the the flip side of that is... I also went to that dinner knowing I hadn't seen you or our other friend in, in three, three years. years. Right. And there's thoughts in my head of, and I had this a few different times of like, 
do I bring it up? Do they bring it up? I had a situation after my mom died of seeing somebody that I'm so, is sort of becoming a new friend and she didn't know because yeah. we don't really pay that much attention to each other's social media. If she asked me what's going on, like how can I not say it? Yeah. But how can I say it? That right. sort of that because bringing it up automatically dominates the conversation. You that's not a thing to say in passing and everybody feels like they want to stop on it and talk about yeah. it. Um I think following the lead, like yeah. Do you think letting the person who's dealt with the or is dealing with the grief set the tone is the best way to I think a little bit and I think it it's it's Depends on your relationship to that right. person. Yeah. Um, and maybe you can share, like, in situations where it has been brought up, a great way you felt like it was brought yeah. up, you know, as well. Yeah. Like, if that makes sense. Like, well, first of all, I want to say, like, I didn't feel awkward when <laughs> when we came to dinner. I wasn't, yeah. you know, we, we sort of stood around waiting for a table and then we sat down and I wasn't thinking, why hasn't Erica said anything? <laughs> yeah, of course. Um... um I think, I think not leading with that is an, is kind of a nice thing. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, because it can, I think, for different people and in different times, be triggering, triggering in some ways. Absolutely. And, and yeah. so, sort of following the lead. And I think when we're at that dinner, I think I'm pretty comfortable at this point in certain situations, mm-hmm. sort of mentioning it. Oh, when my dad died, such and such happened. And I think when that happened, you and our other friend were like, by the way, we're so yeah. sorry that that happened. And yeah. we had a, we took a moment about yeah, it. Yeah, right. And then it was acknowledged because it was also in the context of what was appropriate. Yeah, and, and, it, yeah, and it was moment. in the context of a conversation. Right. And I think that's, that's the best you can do. And I think it's an imperfect um, piece of advice because you're trying to follow the lead of somebody who might be wanting you to take the lead. Yeah, I could have right. just as easily, for all you knew walked in being like, why aren't they asking me about it? Of course, it? yeah. Right. Or I don't want to be the one to bring it up. It's it's a really tough thing. There is. There's no right and way. There's no right way. I mean, I, maybe I, there is a right way, but it could be different depending on the day. And, and every person. And I think what I come back to is, as an adult, you have to just take responsibility for yourself and what you communicate. And so if you're somebody who's going through grief yeah. and somebody mentions it or doesn't mention it, a, try to be aware of where that person's coming from and try to communicate what yeah. your needs are. I think that's a really good I think that's a really good advice just for like life, adulthood and yeah. life, because we all ebb and flow and have different needs at different points in our life. And and not just in situations of grief, but like, you know, like when businesses get crazy or like, you know, or relationships or whatever, just say honesty. Like, I need this or I don't need this right now, you know? And just to like trust that you can, that like, it's not always like, it's everybody's going to do it like with their point of view. Like I could be like, oh, I could imagine what it's like if I had lost something and maybe in my point of view, I'd be like, oh, I wouldn't want to be bombarded, but then I'm going to like behave from what my point of view would be, mm-hmm. right? Like guessing, thinking you're doing what's right, but maybe that's not right for the other person. Mm-hmm. And so just like that open line, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think my sort of like nugget of advice would be if you have a, a very close relationship with somebody who's going through grief, 
bring it up because yeah. it's going to seem like you're ignoring a very obvious thing. And if you have not as close of a relationship with them, follow their lead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's good. I think that's advice. pretty good advice. And, you know, I wanted to ask you as well, you know, you mentioned early on like sitting in the discomfort, right? Of like, and you had that great tool in your toolbox of your therapist, which, you know, we did an episode with Robert Yang who talked about, like, like you said, it was great. I had already known her and had a relationship, but I think we don't think about taking care of ourselves until we're all the time until we're in, in grief or in yeah. crisis. And he was really talking about like, you want to have tools so that when you get to crisis, you don't have to start from ground zero. So I think I'm just so curious, like how, how did you navigate those first few days? I think after your dad, right? Cause that's when it was like, now you have to deal with both. There's no distraction. So it's like, how did you even maybe the first few months, I know it's still really fresh, but how, how have you been yeah. <laughs> in general dealing with sitting in that discomfort and feeling your grief and processing? It's been really hard. Mm-hmm. It, like no shit, but it feels uncomfortable to sit in discomfort. Yes. It doesn't, it doesn't feel easy. Um, I've really tried to hold on to the fact that bad feelings pass. Mm-hmm. Yes. Bad feelings do pass. And that might be in the matter of hours and it might be in the matter of a longer span of time mm-hmm. um, and everything in between. Um, I, for me, since my dad died, it's been every morning is a little different. And I wake up and I feel different things every morning. And the immediate after, like immediately after he died, I felt a, a big loss of caretaking because mm-hmm. there was something that I was always responsible for that all of a sudden was no longer on my plate. And what did that mean about who I was, my place in the world, mm-hmm. my purpose? That was a big um, mind fuck. Sorry, I'm cursing That's someone. That's okay. No. We have the E. <laughs> We're explicit. Um, and really, I mean, and... For me, how I've coped with it, and I think it's it's probably good advice for anything in life, is baby steps. Mm-hmm. I've started to break things down into really baby steps, and I have to put one foot in front of the other, and it sounds a little bit cliche, but it's the most true. I wake up some mornings, and I feel great. I woke up recently and I had had a dream about my mom and she felt so real Mm -hmm. in it and that actually like felt really nice I woke up a different day and I my first thoughts were wait did my mom die Mm -hmm. and I had to like in a millisecond remember and relive it and that set off my day in a really bad tone Mm -hmm. um so for me it's been learning how to check in with how I'm feeling at any given moment, mm. being okay that it changes. Yeah. I'm a big believer in and and not yeah. but. Yeah. Like this is true and this is true as opposed to this is true but. Yes. Um, that two things can coexist. Two things can coexist yeah. and they very much do. I'm a big believer. Allie and I have talked about this a lot. I, I've worked really hard I mess up sometimes of removing should, have to, and need Mm -hmm. from my vocabulary, except on things that are like, I need to drink water. Um, There's some very basic needs that we have, and then there's a lot of other things that we put as external 
expectations um, and they're invalidating of other aspects of her life. So I've really tried to focus on um, rephrasing certain things to be rather than I should do X, Y, or Z. I should write every morning to writing every morning ends up making me feel stronger throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Writing every other morning is a way to process my emotions. Yes. Whatever it is. Well, it puts the responsibility on you. Puts a, it puts the responsibility in, in a on good me. Way. But in it's a, also a positive take on it. It's a positive take. And then if you don't do it, it's not like, oh, I should have Right, it. you're not in a deficit if you don't do it. And you. I think that's actually the other big thing that I'm, I'm trying to learn through this is um, you can not... Like if you can, you can have the intent to write every day. And if you miss a day, that doesn't mean okay. all, that's okay. It doesn't yeah. mean all of a sudden you don't have to write in the mornings. Yep. Um, one day, every yeah. day is a little different and you just checking in. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's good stuff. Yeah. Thank you that's so good much. Good life advice, I think. Um, not to like totally switch gears, but I would love to, you know, you have shared that at least with me, that you grew up in a family where like death was openly spoken about or acknowledged like within your like family community. And, you know, we started to touch on the fact that like culturally it's something that sometimes we like remove, at least in the United States. And I, I listened to this like incredible podcast. I can't even remember the woman's name, which is terrible, but maybe I'll link it in show notes. It was on Dave Asprey's Bulletproof. And she's this woman who deals with like hormones and all this stuff, a doctor. But she was talking about life, um, like actually the cycle of life through bacteria. <laughs> Go with me on this, girls, for a second. We're like in birth. We exchange, you get bacteria through like the vaginal canal that, so one like generation gives it to the next, but in, in death, it's the same thing because like in ancient cultures up until even very, very recently and still in some experiences and especially in cultures around the world, I know this is something in Japan too, but, um, it's like either there were traditional like washing the body ceremonies or sitting with, sitting with your loved one generationally speaking and there's an exchange of bacteria and it's how life it's how we live on with each other literally our their life stays with us and and then we give life and it's like this cycle um and I thought that like really spoke to me because I had never looked at it that way before because it's just like it's just something that like we don't deal with and mm-hmm. at least like I know growing up with like a catholic family it was like we would go for weeks. There was always like open caskets. So it was acknowledged in that way. But like, you know, we put like lots of makeup on. There's like different things that for like your loved one's body when you're like mourning and saying, you know, doing your ritual with it. And so how would you like getting hands on with your, especially with your dad's sort of six month, you were with him through the whole thing, which is so incredible. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about like how your view on birth, life, death is just a little bit about that through your experience. And then if there's anything you would change or you think could be helpful culturally for us to like, that's a big question, but do you know what I mean? Like if there's any things that we could do to change the way we deal with it. So it's not so removed from us. Yeah. I mean, first of all, 
just talk about it. Yeah. Just talk about it. And I've become, I did grow up in a family where death was kind of openly talked about Mm -hmm. and it wasn't so scary to discuss my, you know, my mom used to always say like, that's life. Like death is a part of life. And it's just like, so, so it wasn't, not that it wasn't scary or the idea of it wasn't scary. And certainly like the fear of losing my parents and especially my mom was actually like a very scary thing for me. So it was particularly, um, jarring when it happened. Um, I've tried to make a point to just talk about it more and not always in such a heavy way, Mm -hmm. not always in, we're having a long discussion about death, but, um, you can joke about it and it's okay. Death can be funny. Yeah. Even really tragic death can have a a sort of brevity or humor to it. Yeah. And I think that that's like the big societal thing. And that's sort of the like way to break down some of those walls is just, um, I don't always bring it up. I don't think, uh, but sometimes I bring it up in a conversation just in passing because it's okay to acknowledge yeah, yeah. a really excellent New York times op-ed piece. Um, and I'm forgetting the name of the writer though. I would like to send it to you guys yeah. so you can link to it or something. Yeah. Uh, it's an op-ed piece called I'm so sorry for my loss. <laughs> and it's all about how, um, oftentimes w- when you lose somebody, you'll mention it and the person you're talking to about it will have a really intense reaction, even though they didn't know the person, they don't necessarily even know you that well, but it, it brings up their own fears with it. I really related to the article of, yeah. of other people putting their experience with death on me when I'm just like, yeah. oh, I'm just casually mentioning it. I'm not yeah, saying it, but I think you just have to break through or it's helpful to just break through that a little bit and mm-hmm. keep mentioning it. And slowly society will just become more comfortable. I'm on like a one woman mission to get society yes, yes. more comfortable with it. It's so important. Yeah. Cause that's it. It's like, people don't want to feel sad. They don't want, they, it's, it's just, scary. Yeah. Like there's so much fear or yeah. it makes them be like, because we don't talk about it. Right. right? Because the second you start talking about anything, taboo right like sexuality or yeah the number of things like finances whatever it's like we've done financial wellness you know we're gonna do sexuality wellness you know it's like all this stuff the more you talk about it there's less fear attached to talking about it it's interesting you brought up before um bodies uh and i it was actually really important to me and I think really helpful to me I was with both of my parents bodies after they passed Mm -hmm. which I think probably to a lot of people sounds like a really scary thing um for my mom I was with her I wasn't with her when she passed but I went to the house and I was able to um hold her hand and give her a kiss and that was really important for me to be able to like have that final physical connection and with my dad I was I held his hand as he went my sister and I um and that was also that was really important to me to be able to like physical touch is so important yes it's such a key component of life um that's so amazing Mm -hmm. like that that you also like I just feel like that's really I think that's really brave because I don't think culturally 
that's something in American culture. In American culture, we are taught to be afraid of the unknown of that because it's also like whatever the finality or something. I don't know, but it's um, dealing again with the mortality of life, and it's something that all of us will experience, both as people who love other people, but also as human beings, we will experience it too. And so to not, you by like choosing to do that, you were not like denying that aspect of the life cycle, which I think is really brave. Thank you. Um, I don't know if I would classify it as bravery. Um, For me, it, for my mom, it helps settle some shock. Yeah. Because the concept of my mom not being alive right. just seemed absolutely yeah. impossible. Yeah. And so there were even moments um, in the sort of weeks and months after she passed that I could help remind myself that she had passed because I actually had a visual Yeah. Of, right. A of memory that. of that. And it was scary and it wasn't um, like... She was in her bed, and uh, I remember my, one of my brothers uh, asked if I wanted to go in alone or if I wanted him to come in with me. Yeah. And at first, I was like, I'm going to go alone, and I like opened the door, and I couldn't even step mm-hmm. foot in the room alone. Um, and I very much, like, I, I held his hand. Uh, yeah. Because um, it's scary. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and with my dad, it was, I mean, it was a, to me, it was a gift to be able to be with him while he passed, and I've said it before, but to me, taking care of my dad for the six months that I took care of him was my, was such a gift Mm. to me, it was, I never felt burdened by it, Mm. Um, it was complicated, and it was sometimes strenuous, and I had a serious lack of sleep but I never yeah. felt burdened by it. Um, it felt like a real honor to be able to see somebody through the end of their life mm. and, and try to make it as comfortable um, as possible. Because mm. we great. all deserve that. Not everybody gets it, but we all deserve that. That's pretty amazing. To bring it back to something we touched on a little bit in the beginning, could you talk to us or like, if, do you have anything else to speak on the, the sort of the difference between dealing with like a sudden death versus dealing with like a, a long process where it's something that you're expecting and a part of the process. Yeah. Um, it's a question I get asked a lot. Like mm. what would you prefer to mm. not, not prefer. Right. Like, um, what was easier? What was, what the was easier? Yeah. Um, cause it's such a complicated thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't have a, a clear black and white answer for it, but my thoughts on it are, um, for my mom, my mom died in the way that she wanted to die. Mm. Not at the time she would have wanted to die. She died in her bed in the home that she loved next to her husband of 43 years, having just seen her kids, um, you know, a few days before. Um, part of what was so hard about my mom's death is that there are things that I didn't get to say to my mom. Mm-hmm. I think my mom was a person who very much said everything she wanted to say and she didn't leave 
a lot of open questions about how she felt about people. She, my mom always told me she loved me at the end of every call. And, um, but I didn't get to say everything I wanted to, to her. And that, that, um, for a little bit haunted me mm. actually. Um, and with my dad, my dad and I didn't have anything left unsaid between mm. us. Um, we already had a pretty close relationship uh, we already had a pretty close relationship, but um, I got six months. Yeah. I got to ask him incredible questions about his life, about his experiences, about his thoughts on death. My dad and I had long conversations about his thoughts on death, wow. which I have recordings of yeah. and I can like reflect on at different phases of my own life, um, which I feel really grateful for. Yeah. There's nothing left unsaid, but I had to watch my dad go through some mm. horrible horrible suffering and horrible pain and not be able to help him. Mm-hmm. And so I don't wish the death of a parent on anybody, especially anybody who's relative, you know, I'm young. relatively young. You're very young. Um, I'm not a kid, but I was hoping to have my parents meet my children. Right. And, and I, that's not something I'll have. My parents will not ever meet my grandchildren or their grandchildren. My parents will never meet my children. And as I said, like, my mom did not want to die in a hospital. Right. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you know, it's interesting. It's like you're finding solace in a way and challenges in both of the scenarios. Right. I think that's, I think that's what it is. I think that's, like, ultimately the answer to the question you asked of, like, what's the difference? There's, there's challenges with both of them. Yeah. And there's um, solace in there's solace in the fact that my mom went quickly she my mom did not experience any pain Mm -hmm. as as far as i know um the pain was all experienced by us right we had we had to experience the pain like the pain that is so often associated with death that was something that we took on through Mm -hmm. the shock um my dad we were, I was really able to start processing my dad's death long before he died mm-hmm. because um, he was in and out. And yeah. he was in so much pain. Uh, and it was horrible to watch. Um, but when he actually died, I missed him. I miss him a lot. I miss my dad so much. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I miss him so much, but it, it, the pain, the pain was over. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Well, on that uplifting note. (laughs) No, but thank you so much for being vulnerable and speaking to something that a lot of people don't talk about. And I think it is really like for all the reasons we've already mentioned, why it's so hard to talk about, and especially in American culture. You know, it's yeah. just, we don't discuss it. <laughs> but I really appreciate you coming on. And, and I know our me. listeners appreciate you coming on too. Um, so, okay. So this is the question we ask all our guests. Do you have anything? And it could be a book, a podcast, both. An article. Uh, an article, like you mentioned earlier. Um, 
piece of music. It can be something from your personal journey or just like in general on the subject matters that we talked about today that you would refer to any of the listeners if they're coping with it or if they're just interested in it. Stuff that's inspired you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a few things. So um, there's a book called Radical Acceptance mm -hmm. by Tara Bratch, um, which... Uh, my therapist and I talked a lot about before I finally bought a copy and it's been it's sort of one of those books where I highlight like every paragraph is like the whole book is just highlighter because it's um, it's all about radical acceptance and and just sitting in the discomfort and sitting in your situation so I think that is a really powerful book for me um, uh, I haven't read the whole book I've only read um the starting bit of the artist's way which is the, mm. the morning writing I do yeah um uh that she talks about morning pages yeah um at some point I intend to do the whole program I just right now don't have the space in my life to commit to that but I do have the space in my life to commit to writing my morning pages um there's a New York Times op-ed piece called I'm so sorry for my loss and I, I, I wish I remembered the author's I'm name. Sure we'll find it and, and we'll link it. Too. Yeah, but um, and then for me personally, I really like storytelling. So I have a slew of podcasts that have nothing to do with the topic of grief or death that have uh, gotten me through the last eight months um, because they're just like incredible storytellers and mm -hmm. and that's just something for me personally that um has been really helpful you know that just reminded me I'm going to ask you one more question and I'm sorry to our listeners because we don't usually do this but you said like you're listening to podcasts that don't have anything to do with but just maybe bring you joy when did you start feeling joy again or have you started feeling joy like or was it I know there's like humor in it and everything but like was there a moment where you're like oh I'm happy today do you, do you know what I mean? Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah. Um, I think there was a moment, and I, I, I'm not recalling what the specific... Mm. I'm sure I'll leave here and I'll be like, oh, oh. that was the moment. <laughs> but there was a while that I was feeling sort of numb or like sometimes I was crying, sometimes I wasn't crying, but I wasn't like um, settled. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think, I, I mean, right now the, the sort of few things that come to mind and I'm going to sound like a workaholic, but I, no. I did this really, really tough, um, biggest job yeah. that I had done to date. And I think there was something, I, I felt really proud yeah. of the work and I really mm -hmm. was taking ownership of my work. Um, and that allowed me some sort of feeling of of joy and like I really I, I like working I'm someone that's somebody that's always liked working so um so that where I could say this is true my parents died and I'm really or at that point my mom had died and my dad's dying and that's really sad and yeah I'm really proud of the work yeah I'm doing yeah. so that was a moment um I think after my dad passed and after his pain was done um there was there was two or three weeks where I felt really horrible, mm -hmm. really really horrible. I I took some time off of work and I just was like, I mentioned yeah. it before. I was like, what is my place in this world? Because my purpose was so clearly to take care of my father. I really mm -hmm. clicked into that, yeah. 
and what does that mean for what my life looks like now? And I, I'm a big traveler and I went to Ireland for four days and the Nora before Ireland and the Nora after Ireland were shifted. Um, I think some, something travel to me is very meditative and introspective. I like exploring cultures. I was able to both be in like an urban area and go into nature and mm -hmm. sort of sit in my own discomfort. And I kind of came out the other side being like, okay, I'm back in my body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, that's great. And I think it's just important to even hear, like, you will feel joy, like you will feel happy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, there were some really, really, really dark. Yeah. Right, of course. Exactly. Times. I yeah. mean, there were some, I got, I got really dark at various points yeah. um, in processing my parents' situations. And I probably will get dark again. I like very easily tend towards depression anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got really, really dark and it's just baby steps and it's yeah. one foot in front of the other and it's the, the emotions shift yeah. yeah. and one day is different from the next. And because you feel really, really, really dark or hopeless or lost with anything in life, um, the, those feelings are so insidious. Those feelings are mm. so insidious. And anybody, uh, like if you've read or listened to people talk about depression, it's often talked about that like that your brain tricks you into believing that's reality yes. or that's true. And it's, mm -hmm. it's actually not reality. Feel like in some ways feelings aren't reality. No, One, feelings are just emotions. Yeah. They're, yeah. Feelings are just feelings. One big thing my therapist and I talk a lot about, uh, like I, there was a, there were times with when my dad was nearing the end and it was getting really bad that I said to her, I was like, I feel so alone. Mm -hmm. I have my siblings and that's amazing, but my siblings have their own families. They're all a little older than I am. I have my friends who are an incredible community, but none of my friends are going through something like this. I've, I have one friend that, um, has lost both her parents as well, but it was a different situation. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying to my therapist, I said to her, I'm alone. I'm alone. Like, I don't have anybody. I'm alone. And she was like, you feel alone. And she and I argued about it. Like in my head, I was like, no, fuck you. I am alone. Like, yes, I have a community. Um, but that difference. And, and again, like, I feel really thankful that I have the privilege of having support systems. The difference of somebody just reinforcing to me again and again and again, you are actually not alone. You yeah. feel alone right now. And those are two different things. And those are two different things. Yeah. And at the time, I did not believe, like, I was like, fuck you. What do you mean I'm not yeah. alone? Yeah. I'm I'm taking care of my dad. There's times when I was up at three in the There's morning. Times you're physically alone. <laughs> that I'm physically alone. Right. Mm -hmm. Feats of incredible strength. He would fall and I'd be able to pick him up, right. which like doesn't make any sense because I'm not that strong. Yeah. Um. It's a feeling and it passes. Yeah. Yeah. They're visitors. <sighs> They're visitors and it's insidious and it's terrible. Um, yeah. But yeah. they. They, this too shall pass kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> and it's hard, and I don't mean to chalk that up as no, into being no, some sort of No, it doesn't sound thing. like that. No, it and really I think doesn't. everybody listening knows, like, you, A, you've gone through it, so you can speak to it. I mean, like, I Going through it. Going through it, yeah. I think you never, you're always going to go through it, probably for the rest of your life. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. But I think that can be applied to any pain too. Yeah. Right. Very any much. Any pain that anybody. Well, and that's why like, the, we feel it. The reason I, I, I say the word visitors is because I don't have depression, but I have sometimes debilitating anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that's how it was described to me is this is a visitor, you yeah. know, and it, it doesn't trivialize what I'm experiencing in those moments. But when I can remember, this is not, this isn't a permanent, permanent. state. Yeah. Um, it helps. Yeah. I think one thing, uh, that's been really interesting in my learning and my growth is people always talk about how it's a journey. Mm-hmm. And I used to get very eye rolly <laughs> about like, okay, it's a, like what, it's a journey, it's a journey, but like, I just want to actually get to the place where I'm well, or I just want to get to the place mm-hmm. where yes. X, Y, and Z. And I think something that I've started to learn and I hope stays with me. I'm still, as of you course. said, very new and in this state, but it is a journey. Yes. And like, that's life. That's not just with having a really hard, intense, sad situation. Yes. Adulting is just like figuring out how to navigate different stresses and tough times, whether it feels more trivial or because it's about like, you know, a bad date you went on or it feels serious, but it's related to work or it feels whatever it is. Um, It's a journey. And like, and again, I've, I've heard so many people say this throughout my life and I've like had such a negative reaction of... (laughs) And, and like, I can't, like, I feel out of body that I'm even saying any of this stuff right now because it feels so counterintuitive to who I was up until recently. It's a journey and you, the best I can do is learn to ride that wave and try to enjoy it. And it doesn't mean every moment's going to be good. Enjoyment, like, when I say enjoy it, it's not always fun. Sometimes it really sucks. Um but we can't control it. And yeah. I, I really like to have control over things. Yeah. I'm a yeah. producer. It's like yes. my job. Yeah. You can't control it. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you. Yeah, thank you. Because you're my, not even friend, but like family. And it was a sweet episode. And <laughs> I'm, I'm crying more than Nora. So <laughs> no. I, I'm sorry for my loss. Yeah. <laughs> Equal tears. Um, and I actually remember, sorry, you can... No. You can cut this out if you want to. No, but I don't want to. I remember when I I talked to you on the phone the day my mom died. Like I yeah. communicated with another friend of ours yeah. that something really, really bad had happened, but I wasn't actually saying the words. And so it was a little bit ambiguous. And I know you and she were communicating like, like what what's happened? what's going yeah. on. Is it is it the worst case scenario or is she in the hospital? Right. And I remember I called you and said like Allie she died and like you started to cry and then you said to me you're like I'm so sorry I'm crying but like and you're like no it's okay you can cry too yeah but like it was a really beautiful moment because it wasn't that's not an I'm so sorry for my lost situation because my mom also loved you and it was yeah I guess yeah the the I'm so sorry for my loss of it all is is not when it's a, a shared personal. pain. Yeah. Well, not when it's a shared yeah. pain or an ex- or a safe space to, for everybody right. to feel the emotion. It's right. when it's 
um, not a shared pain or an unrealistic right. Right. Uh, yeah. reaction or not an unrealistic, a, an unreasonable reaction because you right. didn't actually know, know the, the person. person. Yeah. That's when it's an I'm so sorry for my loss yeah. situation. Not. No, not I like know. That. I was just joking about that. But, you know, <laughs> I am grateful for you to come come on and talk about something that's also so personal. Yeah, um, thank you. And you are very courageous. You are. And I'm you sure gave you're us your courageous wellness too. journey. And I'm sure you're inspiring many other people listening to be courageous themselves. Thank so you. for anybody who wants to find you, <laughs> where but not can... In, not in a stalker way. No, but just maybe wants to follow you on yeah. Instagram or see your work, where can um, individuals find you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Instagram at Nora Meets World because I like to travel. Uh, that's where that little pun comes from. <laughs> and um, I have a website, NoraMeetsWorld.com, which um, to date of recording is terribly out of date. Uh, but hopefully by the time you're looking at my website, it's updated. Yeah, <laughs> it will be. Yeah, well, thank right. you so Thanks much so again. Much. Thank you, ladies. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.